Hey, dummies. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Tyler Schoberg. I'm Noah Young with The Shallow Farm. And this is Farming for Dummies. The podcast where we explore the vast world of agriculture and break it down in a way that dummies like us can understand. So Noah, you're not in Nebraska this week. You're actually sitting in the studio right across from me down in Texas. That's correct. We are here in Austin for a friend's birthday party, which is pretty cool because we actually have the opportunity today to interview our guest in person. So since I'm not in Nebraska, I thought it'd be fun if we hired highlighted some of the agriculture around Texas, specifically in Austin, since this is where we are currently recording. So Austin is a really unique area for agriculture. So when you start in the city limits, you actually do have farms within the city limits, farms like Ranger Cattle. Uh, he raises Wagyu beef within the city limits of Austin. They do direct to consumer. They sell to local chefs. Uh, really, really cool, high quality beef operation right there within the city limits. Now, when we, when we expand the radius a little bit, and let's just say an hour in any direction, north, south, east, and west of Austin, you have such a diverse climate. And so everything from strawberries, blueberries, blackberries, to grapes in Fredericksburg, there's a wide variety of not just row crops like corn and cotton and soybeans, but actual edible, um, unique crops like like blackberries, blueberries, and grapes, specifically grapes for winemaking. Yeah, and we don't like to talk about the weather too much on the podcast because that can be a little boring, but I, I can't help but bring it up because it's so nice here and so cold at home. There's also an aspect of the climate here and some of the trees that you guys can grow. Can you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. So being a, a state with so many rivers and bayous and streams, we have pockets of extremely fertile soil along these areas. And that's where you'll see things like pecan orchards, uh, specifically following the Brazos River. And just the, the most delicious oil-dense pecans that I would argue anybody's ever had. It is our state tree, so we know a thing or two about growing pecans down here. It's funny. We also have Korean corn farmer here, uh, Noah Hubbard. And the first thing that he said when we were eating the pecans was he called it a pecan. And he said that that was something that they say in Nebraska. And I was like, no, you're wrong. I, I call it a pecan. It's definitely a pecan. So this might have to be another Instagram poll where we figure out if people say pecan or, or pecan. So you can, we could take all the Instagram polls we want, but we know at the end of the day that everyone else is wrong if they don't call it a pecan. I, this is one of those rare scenarios where Tyler and I actually agree on how it worked. Last night, we actually went through the gas station looking at stuff and talking about, well, what do you call this? Or what about this scenario? Yeah, okay. We're taking longer than normal here, but we got, when we were driving through Texas, we talked about Coke and how, because in our last podcast with Marsha, we talked about Coke and how we call it pop. And I asked him, I said, what if you go through the drive-thru and you say, I want a Coke, are they just going to give you Coca-Cola? And he said, no, they give you your options, which is just bizarre to me. Because if I say I want Coke, they're going to give me Coca-Cola. So, so I got to say, <laughs> I got to say that I want a Sprite. Like you got to be very specific. Very specific. Oh, that's funny. So we're here in Austin and y'all actually just got back from the grocery store with, with some delicious little treats for us. Yeah. So we actually just got back from the grocery store and one of the funniest experiences of my life, because we're there with Katie Thornton, our next guest, and she grows apples in Washington. 
And one of the apples that she grows is in H-E-B down here in Texas. So we go to the grocery store and we buy an entire box, a big bushel of these apples. So we're, we have the pleasure of eating those here in the studio. But we wanted to talk to her about how to pick the best apple, how this apple variety of the sugar bee was actually grown, plus all kinds of other questions about the diverse fruit that she produces up in Washington. So with that, we are going to hop on the old Good Living tractor and start plowing that compaction between your ears. All right. Welcome to the podcast. A woman with tenacity from Tenasket, the apple queen herself from Washington, Katie Thornton. How are you doing today, Katie? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. So Katie, tell us a little bit about yourself. Obviously, anybody that follows you on TikTok knows that you're super into apples, but we know that you have much more to offer than just that. So can you tell us a little bit about your farm and what you do? Yeah, so I'm not just a girl that's obsessed with apples. I've kind of grown up in the fruit industry. I was born and raised on a apple and pear orchard in north central Washington, a little town called Sanasket. And I think when I hit about 15 is when I really started having a passion for the fruit industry and all that goes into it. And I kind of use my platform to showcase uh, to all of the consumers um, what all goes into it. Now, several times on the podcast, the blue and gold jacket has been brought up. You were an FFA member yourself there in Tenasket, right? <laughs> yes, I was all four years. Do you feel like that really built a good foundation moving forward with your like professional agriculture career? It absolutely did. Um, so in FFA, you have this thing called an SAE project, and that is your project you have throughout your four years of high school, if you choose to um, continue in FFA. And I had already planned on doing that. But my freshman year, um, I didn't really know what to do. So I just recorded that I worked for my dad on the orchard, which I did. Um, Just got a cut and dry check. And then my sophomore year is when I decided to do kind of my own thing. And so I started my own business called Kate's Crates. And I started with some apricots. Um, it was it was a bet between my dad and I if I could actually sell them wait, or not. Wait, 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 hang on. All we've ever heard about was apples and pears. <laughs> Where did these apricots come from? <laughs> this is the first I'm hearing. <laughs> so the apricots are the precursor. Um, so growing up, we kind of had all four of us kids. I have three siblings. Um, we had a bit of a nest egg with a couple rows of apricot trees that my dad planted back in the day. I think it was mid 80s or something. And he let us, we would we would pick all these apricots and then we'd just take them to a store and we'd get a bulk price. Well, my older siblings, they graduated and then it was time for me to take over this project. And so basically what I decided to do was utilize social media, especially Facebook Marketplace. And so I decided to put an ad on there and sell through so through Facebook Marketplace, so I could actually get that price of a direct to consumers versus a bulk price for all that fruit. So tell us a little bit about the farm. When you say you've got a row of trees, I mean, how many rows of trees, how many trees total do you have and how big is that? I could not give you a direct answer on that because the way the fruit industry works um as time progresses, they come out with new technology that has to do with your rootstock that you're planting on, uh, different spacing, how that works, um, this thing called building a trellis around your fruit, 
trees. And so it kind of varies on like when you bought that land, if there was already trees planted on it, their spacing. And that's that's what reflects that actual quantity. So most farmers that are like corn or soybeans, they judge things based on yield or acres. What do you guys gauge as far as like size? Size as like, do you look at pounds produced each year or? Um, we get like an average of bins per acre. Bins so, and how big? Like, what's a bin? A bin is four feet by four feet by four feet. Okay, it's a, vol- a volume. Yeah. Volume, yeah. And actually, so it it really depends on pound because apples weigh less than pears, so you have to adjust with pears, like how many bins you can haul on a truck. And so you can't really get a clear, this is how many pounds of fruit I grow. Now, a lot of our listeners, they're probably used to a couple apple trees in their backyard. Now, I've seen pictures of y'all's orchard, and y'all actually have a trellis system that goes through the orchard, which I think is really unique. And so can you talk a little a little bit about that trellising system and, you know, how you had to alter your pruning style to kind of work that trellising system into the program? Basically, like what a trellis does is it helps support the trees. Um, we, what we do a lot of is you, you assess your ground and what makes apples grow so well is the sloping hills and all those different air pockets you get with sloping hills. And so with a sloping hill, you also lose a little bit of the stability. Um, so when you have a trellis system, it basically, you're you're tying that tree to a more stable system. Wait, you talked about air pockets. So now we're talking like micro weather environments. Let's, mm-hmm. is that something unique to y'all's area? And is that why y'all grow such great apples? It is why we grow such great fruit because what we have a lot of is we'll have warm days and then we have cool nights and that's what apples really thrive on. Um, and that's what makes firmer fruit and that makes it so that fruit will last longer in storage. And I think honestly, just our fruit tastes better because of all the different conditions. And so when you've got sloping Hills, like we've got, which is ideal for apples, um, you get into these little pockets of cold air and then you got warmer air um, as you, I mean, even on the driveway to my house, you start at the bottom of the driveway and it's cooler. And then you go up my driveway and you can feel the temperature change, which is really unique. So you live in Washington, which is definitely apple country, but where are the majority of apples grown in the United States? Uh, That would be Washington State, especially on the east side of Washington State. You're going to start up where I am, about 25 minutes from Canada, and then you work your way all the way down to the bottom of the state, and you're just going to find this belt of apple orchards, and it's pretty cool to see. But you've got some orchards over in New York, Pennsylvania, on the east coast, and we appreciate them when we have a tough year. But the majority of the apples in the U.S. are going to be in Washington State. So you mentioned that you started using social media to kind of get the message out there, and that's how we found you was through TikTok. Can you talk a little bit about your journey there and what kind of prompted you to start posting videos and getting your message out? Yeah, so I was in high school and TikTok was just a new app that came out and I kind of played around on it. And it was still like not very popular yet, at least in my immediate community. Um, So I didn't really tell anyone I was on TikTok. And I started posting videos and I was like, 
no way. I got 24,000 views or something on a, on a video. And I was like, these can't be real views. Like, there's no way. But I just kept posting. And I, it started out with, like, some videos for my camera roll of just some of our semi-trucks that we used to haul fruit. And then people would ask about certain vehicles they saw in the background. And then I'd do a video of my dad just talking about uh, an old international pickup he had, which my followers love old international pickups. Oh my goodness. And then people loved my relationship with my dad. And a lot of what has solidified that relationship is all that goes into farming and all the experiences we've gone through together, the hard times, the good times. And um, so I started to showcase my relationship with my dad a little bit more. And then I hit about 30,000 followers and I'm like, hey, I could actually use this platform to talk about fruit. And this is when I was starting to get into my personal business more. And so I had more hands-on experience with the the marketing side, the sales side of the fruit industry. Which is something that we have talked about numerous times on the podcast is really important for producers to get value is that marketing. But you are actually going to school, am, am I correct, to continue that for the farm? Yeah, I am going to get my marketing degree and then I hope to go back into agriculture with it. That's what I'm geared for. I have all the background knowledge when it comes to fruit and I'm also good at relaying all that information to someone who has not as much knowledge on the fruit. Yeah, I really respect that. That's something obviously that Tyler and I are trying to accomplish with this podcast. Have you found that to be an easy task to do or is it pretty difficult to get your message across? It's not super hard to get people a little bit interested in apples because I, I think a lot of people enjoy apples and people like to know what goes into their food and um, no have kind of a face to think of when they're picking up their food at a grocery store. And I think uh, the consumers of America have lost that quite a bit of being in a grocery store and knowing where their food comes from legitimately. You've actually made that comment to me several times that you want when someone walks into a grocery store and turns onto the fruit section and they see apples, you want them to first think Katie Thornton, and then think about all the wonderful things that you say about apples so they know how to pick a good apple, what does a good apple look like, and for them to enjoy it, make the experience more enjoyable, and hopefully buy more apples. Absolutely. I mean, as, as people follow along in my day-to-day life, there is a lot that goes into um, growing their apples or their pears, and I, I think that resonates with people. Um, they see the day-to-day activities um, as the fruit changes throughout the season, and I think that brings a little bit more value than just throwing some apples in a bag and paying whatever price. They they know what they're supporting. So what are your main tips for people looking to market their products? Don't be afraid to answer questions and don't be afraid to say, hey, I don't know everything that comes down to this, but you can direct them to what you do know about whatever product you produce. So here's the million dollar question. What is your favorite variety of apples? Oh, right now I'm between, uh, we grow a sugar bee apple and we grow a cosmic crisp apple. And I think they both are uh, different enough in flavor profiles that I just enjoy both of them. Now the sugar bee apple is a new variety created in a really unique way. And so after the break, we're gonna talk about how we come up with new apple varieties. 
Okay, Tyler, the first time I heard of hemp bedding from Eaton Pet and Pasture, I was a little surprised. Um, I've heard a lot of other things to do with hemp, but bedding was not one of them. So really kind of excited to learn about this product. And one of the things that I really appreciated was how it worked for my chicks. You know, it's 100% naturally grown. There's no dust and no chemical treatments. So super soft and cozy for our pets. The chicks that we've got in the coop right now are absolutely loving it. You know, Noah, as farmers, they know the love and care it takes to raise happy and healthy animals. That's why they are proud to help your pets, both big and small, enjoy all the comforts of a long, luxurious life that theirs do. Made from 100% naturally grown hemp, their bedding is far superior to wood shavings, paper straw, corn cobs, hay, or any other heavily processed material. Only the best for your pet. To learn more, visit EatonPetAndPasture.com. Sugar Bee Apple has this almost mythological story behind it. Will you share a quick version of that story? Uh, yeah, I think the Sugar Bee really is just uh, nature's miracle because how an apple variety comes to be, well, pun intended now, is because of honeybees. <laughs> <laughs> so in order for an apple to first turn into from a apple blossom to a a fruit is it has to be cross-pollinated. This means that a bee comes along and lands on, let's say, a, a Fuji apple blossom. And then it picks up pollen pollen from that blossom and then it carries over it over to a honeycrisp tree and it lands on a honeycrisp blossom. Well, the combination of that pollen uh, then turns that honeycrisp blossom into a little fruitlet. And so that that turns into a Honeycrisp apple, of course, but the actual seeds in that Honeycrisp apple contain the genetics of both that said Fuji and the Honeycrisp. And so when those seeds are planted, that's how new apple varieties come to be. So it's a quite a long process because it takes about six years for a tree to start producing fruit. Wow. Okay. 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 We have some minds blown right now. So, so you're telling me all the videos on the internet that for some reason always had banana peels in them. Not sure why. <laughs> when they take an apple and cut it open in a grocery store and plant it and they have this beautiful apple tree, that's more than likely not going to happen. At least it's not going to be the apple. It's not going to be the that apple they, that they think they're going to get. Bingo. And that's what people don't understand. Okay. So just a side note on that. We create a new apple variety and it's, we've proven it. It's good. It's a good, it's a good apple. How do we continue to grow those? Great. So there's these things called plant breeding stations, and they do this process thousands of times. And someone literally goes along and tries these apples, and they're like, hey, that's a good apple. Let's move it on to the next level. And it goes through all this process until you get an apple that is good enough. Um, what is available now to do is when you have a good, an apple that's good enough, like the sugar bee apple, is, is companies can actually buy the rights, the patent to that apple. And so they have a bit of a head start on marketing that, that apple variety. Um, so in the sugar bee's case, a couple different companies own the rights to the apple. Uh, it's a patent for, I believe, 10 years. And so they are able to have a limited amount of acreage that is available to growers like myself. And so we plant that fruit. Um, you can plant trees or you can do this process called grafting. So growers can do this for a limited amount of acreage. So there's about, I don't even know, maybe 5,000 acres total. 
And so you've got a limited amount of volume that is coming out. And so that makes it easier for this variety to be managed. Um, sales teams can more accurately estimate how much fruit is going to come at them and what prices they should be setting. So I want to back up just a little bit because when you were talking about fruit set, you talked about cross-pollination and how that's um, critical yeah. for fruit set. And so my first question is, are you telling me that in an orchard, there's more than one apple variety to ensure cross-pollination? Yes, absolutely. And, and a lot of times what we do is we strategically plant different varieties, blocks next to each other. But also within these blocks, let's say I have a, a block of Pink Lady or Crips Pink, whatever you you choose. Um, throughout this block, we have these trees called pollinizers, and they're basically just different apple varieties that are planted in the middle of a row. Um, just makes it makes it easier for those bees to do their job. Let's say a university gets a grant to start researching and creating a new apple variety. Mm -hmm. They're doing it a little bit more structured. They are probably hand pollinating and ensuring that that a certain cross is happening with a certain cross. But that's not the sugar bee story. No, can you tell us the sugar bee story? Yeah, so so with like a more organized and structured, um, I guess experiments to to make a new variety, it, it differs from what actually happens in Mother Nature. So so the sugar bees case, we know that the parentage, the mother parentage, is a Honeycrisp, but because this did happen naturally. Um, we don't know who the dad is. Which I think is the coolest thing ever. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> um, yeah, so we we know those uh, those seeds, the sugar bee seeds, they came from a Honeycrisp apple, like I explained earlier, but we don't know what other genetics it contains. That So, so this was a farmer with a Honeycrisp orchard with multiple different types of pollinators in the orchard. This cross happened. They were planting seeds, and lo and behold, we got the sugar bee. Yeah, a, a guy named uh, Chuck Nystrom or Nystrom. I can't remember how to say his last name. And he actually has one of those plant breeding stations where this just happens. He just has a bunch of different varieties, and it just naturally occurs. So taking a step back from specifically the sugar bee apple, what are you guys looking for in a good apple? So... <laughs> The way I see apple consumers, you're either a sweet apple person or you're a sour apple person. I'm sweet. How about you, Tyler? Sweet all the way. Yep. And I got to say, we've had the sugar bee. And oh. <laughs> that, that is why she's on the podcast today. Like, and we'll be honest, that sugar bee apple sold me. Sugar bee apples at a store near you. <laughs> oh, God, I appreciate it, guys. I'm, I'm glad it was effective. Um, we do our best. But basically, what we look for is an apple that is going to appeal to a consumer, of course, with that flavor profile, but an apple that is resistant to, to a disease, um, it has good yields consistently. Um, and, and you learn more about different apple varieties as it goes along because it is such a long process. Um, but as a grower, you, you want an apple that is fairly easy to, to grow. You don't need too many supplements. Like, for instance, the Honeycrisp apple, everyone loves it, but it is a pain in the butt to grow <laughs> because of all the added supplements you need for that tree. Compared to what? What are some of the other varieties that are easier to grow and why? Some of the hardier varieties, I would say, would be um, Red Delicious, which 
not everyone enjoys anymore, but it is consistent and you you know what to expect a little bit more. Um, the same goes for, I'd say, Fuji and Granny Smith. And we were talking before the podcast about why Red Delicious is maybe not so good as it used to be. Can you talk about that a little bit? Oh, boy. I know. Every, every time I talk to a, a consumer, it, and it's good to hear feedback, but people are like, Red Delicious are just not the same. They they used to be, honestly, when I was a kid, they say, um, they used to taste a lot better than they do now. And this comes down to um, using the apple for exports. Um, Red Delicious is often what we export to China and other countries because it just holds up better than most apples. But um, knowing this, we continued to to breed these apples looking for the genetics that we're going to store longer. When you focus on this, you focus less on the flavor profile. So you lost a little bit out on the flavor. But also, the longer an apple goes in storage, it typically is just going to lose a little bit of that nutrient value, a little bit of that flavor factor too and so we actually see this across the produce industry period we have varieties that are breeding for shipability and unfortunately we do have to sacrifice flavor sometimes and so now our work as as breeders or the work for the breeders to do is to try to improve that flavor profile at the same time that they're improving shipability yep that would be the goal yeah and, and i mean you're you're considering all these different factors and this is where uh economics kind of comes into things. You've got globalization. So you've got a larger population you're looking at, and then you're looking at all these different cultures. What do they want? Um, certain areas want a really brilliant red apple. Some some areas of the world like a tartar apple, and you're, you're catering to all these different consumer profiles. Um, and so sometimes you can lose some attributes along the way. Talk a little bit about the coloring on the apples. Does that actually make a difference uh, or is that just just for looks? It does not always make a difference um, with the variety like Red Delicious. You're going to almost always have that nice deep red color just because that is what is genetically designed to do. It's it's inclined to just redden, even if it has like two days of sunlight. Uh, versus other varieties that are what we call bicolor, they don't need to be 100% red to taste really good. For example, a sugar bee apple, it's a bicolor apple. So you're going to get maybe 70% that's going to be red, but the other 30% is going to be this nice creamy golden color. Consumers have been conditioned to think that the reddest apple is the best apple. But what you're going to actually look at is the background color of an apple. If it's more of a green color, it's just not going to have that deep, rich flavor versus in the sugar bees case, if you have a nice creamy background, that's going to be the better tasting apple. If we have uh, a listener at home and they went to the nursery, nursery sold them four trees, two varieties each, and they decided, you know, I think it would be cool if I tried to make my own apple variety, knowing that they would have been cross-pollinated, they could simply save a piece of fruit plant the seed and more they're going to get a new apple variety as long as they're successful in growing it absolutely any advice for that person at home for planting a tree raising apples in general raising apples in general um don't be afraid to thin your trees um this is a process where you're basically just picking off the little fruitlets and that just allows for more nutrients that are pulled up by those roots to go to 
um, the fruitlets that are going to be more inclined to be bigger and just better in general. Another thing, people are always afraid of this process called pruning. Do not be afraid to to really get in there and cut away at your, your trees, especially when they're younger. You're basically shaping the tree when you're pruning it at a young stage. Katie Thornton, also known as the Apple Queen of social media. We thank you so much. Where can people find you online? Um, you can find me on TikTok, which you'll find most of my Apple content. And that would be K-A-T-Y, that'd be Katie, and then J Thornton, T-H-O-R-N-T-O-N. And then on Instagram, I'm Caitlin Jill Thornton, K-A-I-T-L-Y-N, Jill Thornton. What about folks who want to find one of those delicious sugar bee apples for themselves? <laughs> so you can go on the sugar bee uh, Instagram account and in their link, and I believe in, it's in my bio link as well uh there's a store locator and it's really cool you just put in your zip code and then you can find which stores near you carry the sugar bee apples and i live in the middle of nowhere so i really wasn't expecting to find them but i was shocked to actually find them really close even in nebraska yeah they're they're everywhere we care about you too thank you we appreciate that (laughs) nebraska matters too a little (laughs) start a movement well katie thank you so much for your time as always it was an honor and a privilege um any wise words of wisdom for the farm dummies out there before we let you go? Uh, no, thank you so much um, for any farm dummies. Just keep eating your own produce and you, you learn a lot from that. Nothing is more American than apple pie, ice cream, and baseball. And I feel more American than I did when we started this podcast. And we just learned so much about what it takes to not only develop, but grow one of the main ingredients. How often do you get the opportunity to eat someone's produce when it was grown in another state? And, and you still sitting, buy it at a grocery store. <laughs> and you're sitting right there with them. I got to say what I, what I really hope that everyone listening got from this at the bare minimum is like, what you can do at home to better your own apple tree, you know, or if you are really curious about the sugar bee apple, maybe exploring some of the other unique variety, uh, apple varieties out there um, and, and really just just trying to branch out a little bit. Yeah. And I thought it was really cool just to hear her passion as, as someone that's young in this industry. Obviously, she grew up in it, but it really hasn't left her. You know, obviously, the fact that she's going to school for this. And I think she's definitely somebody to watch out for, not even just for apples, but Fruit in general, I think Bingo. it's going to be cool to watch. I think that there were several key points, and I, I feel like I've said this for the last couple of podcasts, but there were several key points that were in her interview that were in everyone else's interview. The first thing is, is that super motivated, right? But but family. Yeah. We heard about her dad. We heard about her brother. Like We heard about her family and how they um, push her to be her best. They push the operation to be its best. That, that's really inspiring. It's awesome. It sets in concrete like how important family is in this industry. Yeah, Tyler, I couldn't agree more. And hopefully we can have her back on the podcast next time to talk about pears as well. That would be pretty back to talk about pears, that's for sure. So, Tyler, what do we have in the mailbox today? Well, it is that time of the year. Spring is upon us and everyone is curious about their chickens. So our question comes from Marty in Alabama today. And he specifically directed it to you, Noah. He said, are, are you sure about that? He did. He said, uh, you know, to the farm dummies, specifically Noah at the Shiloh Farm, a.k.a. the Chicken Man, a.k.a. Chicken Master. <laughs> My family and I are just starting to get into chickens and we're building our homestead flock up from nothing. We have what we believe is the right coop, 
we've already selected everything that we need. The only thing we haven't is a chicken breed. What advice, if any, can you give us on selecting breeds? Yeah, I do get this question a lot. And the, the biggest thing you got to identify is what's your goal with the, that chicken breed? You know, because there's a big difference between a meat chicken and chickens that lay eggs. Uh, climate does play a little bit of effect into that. Not, not entirely, you know, most flocks will adapt to different climates, but the biggest thing, if you're looking for egg layers is how consistent do you want it to be? And then even color, you know, we here at the Shiloh farm, we're really going after color. So we're picking breeds that are laying your blue eggs, the green eggs, olive eggs. Um, but if you just want real consistent egg layers, Rhode Island reds or white leghorns are going to be your most consistent. That's probably the best way to start. And just really good, consistent, easy birds to to learn with and begin with instead of going after those expensive breeds. And for those of you in Southeast Texas, we call it a legern. A legern? <laughs> sure do. There, there is an R in there, you know. <laughs> you know, we, we're a little loosey-goosey with our R's down okay. here in the Gulf Coast. Okay. <laughs> well, dummies, we hope you learned something today. And remember, like John Wayne used to say, this old life is hard. It's harder if you're stupid. We'll see y'all on the next podcast. Yeah.